Welcome to the Road Show. In South Africa, it brings people together, it breaks yeah, down barriers. Yeah, right. My passion winning to be the best. To be the best is something we strive for. Sacrifice, role South Africa. Passion, great life. passion, fiction, gold, ultimate gold, glory, relentless training, pain, pain. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gents, and welcome to another awesome episode of The Row Show. As always, it's myself, Lawrence Britton, and with me, Mr. Green. Mr. Green, yes, guys, it's, it's good to be back on air. And uh, today we are speaking to Lennart van Leroy from the Netherlands. And uh, wow, what an incredible season that he has had, picking up a world, champ, uh, world championship gold medal in the men's quad, winning that European championship in the skull. And that absolutely memorable race against um, Ali and Stefanos. And then, you know, coming off the back of 2022 racing in the eights, you know, crazy race at Europeans picking up the silver medal. So he has been on fire these last two seasons. It was, you know, it's an absolute privilege to speak to him. Yeah. So I, I mean, it's such a good episode. I think uh, everyone listening is going to really, really love the, the kind of banter that there is and the just kind of general um, focus of the season because I would say first of all yeah the Dutch have just had an incredible season absolutely crackers um, racing from start to finish throughout the season so really good to to get the inside information um, from the Dutch team and and where they're kind of sitting and and how things are going on their side so I really love that piece and then also um, you know it's always great after world champs when we, we have someone that's kind of bust onto the scene, you know, not a huge amount of like Olympic uh, games talk, but all about this season, all about, you know, jumping in between different boat classes, quads, um, and especially this season, as Jake said, quads and singles and winning both of them. And that's quite um, something to achieve, I think. So yeah, really, really awesome chat. Um, Leonard was such a cool um, guy, such a cool um, person to have on the show and just kind of get there, the insight. So, yeah, Jake, what are your big takeaways? Um, I think my big takeaways are um, basically your uh, the dexterity that you need to have as a rower, being able to perform across disciplines. I'm starting to realize, like, you know, good rowers can do it both. They seldom that we have people on the show that um, come from a very, like, a stringent rowing background where they don't have this multidiscipline success. It might not be at like super high level, but there's there definitely seems to be a common thread with the best rows in the world of having this ability to perform well in both classes. And of course, you know, Lennart comes from such a strong uh, Dutch sculling pedigree and just having a chance to sort of get a bit of insight into um, his his journey these last two years has been has been really cool. Yeah, and I mean, he's raced eights, he's raced um, pairs, and then finds himself in the the Dutch sculling team, which sounds like one of the most incredible kind of machines to be part of at the moment. So, yeah, I think from our side, I think you're going to love it, enjoy it, and sit back and enjoy it. Oh, and uh, just a bit of housekeeping. Guys, come and join us on Patreon. Um, we're having the best time there the the group is amazing the whatsapp group the chat the banter is so awesome and i mean the amount of rowing knowledge that is getting shared on that um in that kind of environment on that platform is is incredible and it's something more than what we could have ever imagined it would be when we started the the patreon group and then we also have the rowing almanac all of the rowing racing data that you want right at your fingertips in excel for, uh 
format for you to search and and play around with and and find some really interesting statistics in there. So if you want for the numbers, come and join us there. If you want the banter, come and join us on Patreon. And yeah, and otherwise, just listen to the show. Enjoy it. Tell your friends about it. That always does the the most help. So yeah, thanks for listening, guys, and enjoy the show, Jake. I think you wrapped up quite quite well there, Lawrence. We'll see you on the other side. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Rose Show. And uh, today we have a very special guest from the Netherlands. And uh, Lennart's had some uh, had a spectacular two seasons. So Lennart van Leerope, thanks for coming on the show. And it's great to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. So, I mean, the last two seasons uh, have been really something special from you. And I'm sure we're going to get into... I think the you know the the nitty gritty of it all throughout this interview, but I think to to start, can you sort of bring us back to 2022 before uh, the season sort of started, the international season? You started off rowing in the pair. Just give us a, some sort of idea of how that sort of um, how that worked itself out, and then yeah, just to, to start off the interview. Yeah, so uh, until Tokyo, I wasn't uh, in the national team, and then. Through the winter, we had a very clear set of uh, a very clear program we had to follow, and then we had trials, which consisted of some stuff in the singles and some stuff on the RP3. Um, and through that, I uh, I performed really well, especially in the single. That was a bit of luck for me because I knew uh, I had really good experience in the single. So uh, after that set of trials, I was invited in. And uh, they said, like, okay, you guys, uh, we everyone's going to be in a boat and we'll test some things. Um, and then we do the races. And after that, we look, we will look again. So uh, we had done some bit of, bit of training in fours and doubles and quads and everything. And then on the first night of uh, our training camp at Altitude, we, were, we sat down together, uh, all the men and the coach. And he said, like, okay, we're going to make these boats, a uh, quad, a four, I don't know, exactly anymore and then he started saying okay the quad will be these guys and this single will be melvin and uh, this and that and then we ended up with four guys uh nikki guillaume Gus Mollet, and i and we had a double and a pair left so for me it was completely clear i was going to be in the double that would be completely logical and then they said okay it's going to be the pair with nikki and and myself and we hadn't never rode the pair uh, before then so we heard it the first day of training camp and then that was going to be us together in a pair for the coming what is it two months mm. to world cups in the camp so that was um, a bit of a surprise but it worked out in well in the end yeah it's it definitely i'd say it definitely worked out in the end and it must have been it must have been a surprise but i imagine getting into the the, the pair with nikki it uh, it must have been a bit of a relief because you know i just from looking from the outsider's perspective, Nikki seems to be a very, you know, uh, very skilled and dexterous all man, able to row both sweep and sculling, and having lots of experience with row- rowing in different crews. But it must it must have been nice for you getting to a boat with someone that, uh, even though it was sort of uncharted territory for you, you know, you're getting into a boat with a guy that's, uh, you know, he's very experienced, he's got lots of skill, and he knows how to make boats go fast with lots of different people. Yes, that I think he was very. Um, that was that was crucial for the project. That he he had a clear idea of how we were going, how he wanted to row. Um, 
and he was he also was able to to explain it to me and we worked on that and he's also a relaxed guy so we had some fun together and we were yeah and then um but but in the end yeah he was the guy uh like decide deciding we decided together but he had the experience and the knowledge of how we were how he knew we can roll like this and he himself was able to follow me Mm. uh, and then in such a way that we made it work together one of the areas i wanted to to really dig in on is especially for this 2024 olympic cycle uh the dutch team just seemed to be just on another level, you know, the depth of the team seems to be incredible. The performances uh, coming through the season and then especially this World Champs, the Dutch team performed so incredibly well. And a lot of changes though. So like, you know, you've rode the eight, you've rode the pair, you've rode the quad. It's, you know, it doesn't feel, you know, very set. A lot of teams are, you know, set on like, okay, this is sculling, this is the sweep team. These are the big boats, the small boats. Like, And athletes don't really change around much. For this, like maybe there's a fear that, you know, certain boat classes are more suited for certain athletes, and it doesn't seem like there's that attitude at all in the in the Dutch team. Can you dig into kind of that theory a little bit and and what it's like changing these into all these different boat classes between sweep and sculling? Maybe it's also like for me personally, I've been uh, in all the all the different boats, so that's um, I'm the prime example of that. Yeah, most most guys will maybe switch like one or, once or twice, and after the Tokyo Olympics, uh, well, I to- already said about these trials, and everyone had to do that in the singles. So we were also rowing in singles for the for the whole winter. Uh, so people were getting pretty skilled at that, and then uh, we're a bit of it's a bit of trying, and then uh, looking to get better results. Getting people on the, uh, getting everyone on in better, better boats or um, places more suited to, for them. So maybe we had a quad in the beginning of last year with some people who did mostly sweep, and then it maybe it didn't completely work out. So we moved them to the eights, and then now, okay, the sweep rowers are still sweep rowers, so the eight might be a bit <laughs> better for them. And in the end, like like we're working towards getting uh, the best boats, and yeah, some people have to switch a bit for that. But mm. it's also fun to uh, be in different crews and see different see different things. I think. Yeah, I th- I think you you, in, you when you change a lot across disciplines and, and spend time in the different boats, I I feel like there's there's certain skills and there's certain dynamics that you find in different boat classes that you might you may not be exposed to if you don't change you know i'm sure you can you you probably know the best out of most people you know from racing in the skull to racing in the eights to racing in a paired double and and whatnot so speak to us a little bit about like the the skill factor involved and learning and maybe how it's you feel like you've benefited from learning from different boat classes and racing at um, in, in different different dis- disciplines yeah, I think uh, you're right. Like uh, rowing in different crews, it also means you're working with a lot of different people. So you get to learn from that. And uh, I think the biggest challenge of changing boat classes is more like working with a new project, maybe a different coach, 
new group of guys uh, in the crew, which means a different dynamic, more so than the big difference of going into the eight and the single and then the quad and all these kinds of different things. Yeah, okay, when I got in the eight, I was like, okay, this is a bit better than I'm used to and a bit faster, but that takes uh, just a little time instead of getting the group to work the way it needs to work um, is, is, I think, a bigger challenge than getting uh, just to get the eight, being the eight. Although I have mm. to say that when you've done all the races, then maybe uh, you, you've I've picked up some things and uh, about racing an eight specifically or just racing a single specifically. That if you do more races, that does help, of course. Mm, of course, and then you know in twenty twenty two you started off the season in a pair, and then very soon you found yourself going to Europeans racing in the eight and. What I what I'm going to enjoy about this episode is that you you've been involved in two super memorable races these last two seasons. Obviously, the eight at Europeans was very special. You guys were on really good form, and then you know you have to speak to us about the uh, the crab that you you guys caught in the final, and then managed to have such a an amazing recovery. That must have been you know. Uh, and also, I would like to know who who was the one that caught the crab. <laughs> It was actually our strongman, Guillaume, who caught the crab. And it was really strange because we also had a very poor uh, race for lane. So I was like, no, it's going to be this tournament. Shit race for lane. <laughs> so then final, final done after 100 meters. But for some reason, uh, like Abe in front of me, he started turning the boat the right way, back the right way very fast. And then how these things always go so fast like something happens people start doing things and two seconds later you're back rowing at full speed again but in the in the two seconds you've lost like one or two lengths and then um so at first we were just going full pull without any um reservation and then our cox juke she said yeah we're gonna catch the romanians and i was like what i don't believe you or something but from like uh, that also went really quickly. So we were just running as hard as we could. And uh, and after 500 meters uh, after the, the crap happened, we were back in some sort of race and we were just... And then we started picking up the boats and ended up with the silver, which was yeah, incredible results. It, uh, it was such an incredible race because especially in the eight, you know, the, the change of speed is so difficult. You know, there's that like kind of general rule of thumb that if you win to that first 500 you you can hold it to the the end of the race because changing speed is so difficult uh yet you guys just completely destroyed that theory by you know being that little bit down and then managing to come back into the race and then actually fight for the the front of the race at the at the end it's like it's probably one of the best AIDS races to watch it was definitely one of the uh, in, in hindsight it was one of the more fun ones yeah, <laughs> and, and uh, we we were of course a bit lucky that the, the other crews we overtook that they were in the, the top of the top because the the British uh, they were way ahead and they stayed way ahead, but uh, for our confidence that was a big uh, big boost. I'm sure. Yeah, and also I think for you, you know, getting getting into the eight of Europeans and then 
having having a race like that and still coming away with a silver medal, it must have been quite a big confidence booster because, you know, even though you guys had a, a poor race for lanes and that something went wrong in the final, you still the the, the crew still managed to to produce such a big result. And what was that confidence like? And did that sort of change the outlook going forward to world champs? You know, before going into Europeans, um, how different was it after that result? Um, I think it was when Europeans, uh, before the Europeans, we were rowing together for like a month, I think, something like that. And after your first race, you have some sort of marker of and an idea of what level you are performing at. And for us, we knew like, okay, we are we were second right British. Nobody was really thinking we could beat, beat the British, but we did row the second 15, the last 1500 faster than them. Although it's a bit, it doesn't really like, you can't really compare it, of course, because they were in mm. push, but still we really knew, okay, our speed is good. And so we, uh, we can push for the medals and maybe even for a gold medal at world championships. And after Europeans, we immediately went to the, to our altitude training camp. So that yeah it was just it, it, i think it's good to have uh, it it helps when you arrive there in a bit of positive spirit and also arrive at world championships knowing your level is really decent it's decent at least mm. like, no for sure and then i was just going to i was just going to say maybe speaking a bit about the the british eight um obviously as competitors you never you know you never want to talk up your 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 competition too much but maybe sharing a bit of thoughts from you know I feel like we always have a lot of respect for the people that we race, um, you know, mainly from like the the, the, tri- the training and the trials we put us through. But maybe share some thoughts on the the British eight, you know, performing last year, and you know, being racing against such a, a good crew, and maybe how how racing against such a good crew perhaps lifts your game higher than it would have been already. Uh, yeah, they are just a very fast crew and they won all the, I think they won all World Cups before Europeans and then also Europeans and Worlds. Um, so they, they just set the bar very high and you know, if you're fast, but not really, really fast, you know, you're not going to beat them. And of course you want to beat them because that's why we go to these tournaments. Uh, so mm. that, yeah, what you, you said, they, they set the bar really high and probably are always trying to live up to that uh, to that standard. Um, and then, yeah, World Championships last year it was uh, it must have been a, a special a special World Champs for you because you know you walked away with a second second place in the in the men's eight and the A final. Um, but it seemed like it was quite a journey. You know, you, you managed to finish second in the heat. Obviously, the, the the aim of the heat is is to make it through straight to the final, and you had to go through the rep. But it seemed like you guys sort of benefited from racing the rapid charge and that it, it sort of like improved your performance um, somewhat for the final. You know, you get an you get an extra chance to practice your race plan and then, it, you know, had such a spectacular race in the final. Yeah, definitely. Like the, the World Championship did, did such a long tournament that the, the, heat, the heat is like five days before the final. And when we raced the heats, I think we had showed pretty good speed, but we were just lacking some freshness, which the Canadians... Uh, definitely had in the heat already. Um, so and also so racing the rep not only gave us another chance to race, but it also broke up that, that big like 
four day or five day gap between the heats and the finals. So made it mentally a bit easier, uh, even. Mm. Do you, uh, do you make a, do you find it like very different? The kind of m- the like mental strain of like a week of racing where it's the eight and it's, you know, all the regattas in the eight are like really quick, you know, heat, sometimes a rip, then a final Whereas you know, in the pairs or, or single it's quarterfinals, semifinals. Um, you know, it's a lot more racing in the, in the week. What is that difference like for you? Do you, and do you prefer a single, uh, you know, the bigger, the busier week or the quieter week? I think I prefer the busier week when you want to, when you're out to race, you want to do the race and not train, mm. but yeah, so I, I do prefer it. I think also with the eights, it's like compared to a single, you, you, you just start at the semifinal point or something like that's more eights racing is just from the first race, you're racing the top crews. Uh, so this, so you have to be, uh, ready for that and then also you know from someone that's spent so much time in the different bow classes you know from when when i watch the eight race at world champs it seems like there's so much more on the line in each race because of what you just said there's not that many races so there's so much more riding on getting the race plan right the first time first time and then on top of that you're in such a fast moving boat and like the intensity and the speed at which those boats get going um, and knowing that unlike the skull where you can make up a boat length for two, if you need to, I mean, you know, racing at Europeans, uh, this year, you can, you can see how much, uh, how much you can close down a, a gap, but then in, in an eight, you have to be so careful to not let your opposition get too far ahead because it's so difficult to make those places up. So maybe speak to the difference in intensity. It seems like it's extremely intense when you race in the eight. And it's only, it's, you know, it's just, it's just almost like a five and a half minute effort too. So it must be very different compared to racing in other boats. Yeah. Like, like you said, uh, the, the intensity is very high because you're always racing. Like there will always be top crews in the race. And uh, maybe you don't know some of the crews and, but, and everyone, everyone's going to be fast. So you have to be really ready for that. Whereas in the single, you might know, especially in the heat or in the red quarter stuff like that you might know some crews are just slower than you or that it's much more uh, the, the differences are much bigger that i think that's the that's the main difference like in an eight if you're one link down it's going to cost you like five places instead of in the single it might be um, it might just be one or something like that so you went from rowing in the eight um you know sitting in the in the the powerhouse blue ribbon event the the big the big eight to the next season, 2023, starting off racing the the single at European Champs. That's quite a big uh, transition. What was that uh, kind of change like? And, you know, and how, why did that change happen? Why did you go from the, the racing in the eight to racing in the single? So in the winter, also uh, last winter, we again did uh, the trials in January. Uh, in the, every one of us in singles. So everyone also trained the whole winter in singles and uh, I performed really well in that uh, this winter too. So the coaches decided I was going to be in the sculling squad for this season. Uh, and after that, we also did some testing and trialing in doubles and they, I was going to be select, no, I was going to be seed raced for the, for the quad. But when we were seed racing, we would do that in Dedeluco. Uh, I got ill over there 
So it was a pretty shit experience being uh, <laughs> you know, in a hotel room in Italy somewhere. And then they yeah. decided, okay, uh, we were going to go with the other guy, with Finn, uh, at that moment, and uh, which meant I was going to race a single. Okay. Mm. And then, yeah, because, I mean, uh, Pedaluco is already not the most exciting uh, place in Italy, so I can imagine being sick there is uh, is quite a challenge, uh, not the not funnest experience. No, it's just like uh, you're sitting in your hotel <laughs> room wanting to race and feeling mm. shit, yeah. so, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a great regatta though. That first, yeah, you know, to get that early racing in, in the season is so, so awesome. And it was so, it was such a big event this year, which was, um, really, really cool. I, I, it's probably the one of the races I missed the most this year. Mm. Then one of the things I want to chatter about there, you know, you're racing, you know, going into the, the single it's, um, you know, you're just, you're changing from such a big a big boat class and into into the smaller one. That's you know, it's so technically so different. But also, as you said there, the because you perform well in the in the single trials, you were put into the the the, the sculling squad. Is the Dutch team? Are you like are all the top scullers when you're racing in the single? Are those all going like the top athletes going into the sculling squad, and then the sweep squad is kind of. The, the next tier event uh, next tier because I would say that's opposite to a lot of other other countries um, I think a bit so although some of the guys in the eight are also very fast in the single um, but yeah also the most more, most of the guys in the sculling squad also have more experience rowing the single so that helps create a, a bit of the difference but it's not like per, uh, not like one to seven are the single okay. the sculling squad and then the next guys are the sweet guys. You will see that more of the fast single scholars are in the sculling squad. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the sculling squad was pretty, was yeah. pretty power this uh, world champ. So it was easy to see that there was a lot of, a lot of good athletes uh, in the, in, in your, in your sculling squad. Then going so actually racing Europeans now in the in the single, I mean that was an incredible yeah. result. I mean you just got throughout the regatta, you look more and more comfortable, ra- racing better and better. And yeah, just talk us through the you know uh, this a big event in the single, racing a lot of big names, and you know especially that final. It must have been quite nerve wracking. You know you're lining up against you know Stefanos, Oli, you know a lot of of the, the top, top guys. And, you know, the single is very different where it's all on you. You know, it's that really, there's a lot of pressure on, on, on you as an athlete, whereas in the eight, it's about like, how can we put this like big team effort down the best team effort? Uh, yeah. So that's, that's what I want to want to dig in on. Yeah. I, the, the Europeans were really special for me. Uh, of course that it was a very big, it was a big surprise. And then, when I won, like everybody was so happy for me, and even like they got happy themselves. So that was that was a really nice experience. I think before the Europeans, I, I knew I had good speed. Of course, we did the, the pieces, and I put down really good times. But I had to find my way. I had to like adjust to racing the single at that level again. So I did under twenty threes as a lightweight in the single, but and that was years and years ago. But, uh, yeah, I think also, also some people have more reputation and you have to, I had to get used to like, uh, 
putting myself up there. Our coaches also told me like, we know you're quick and uh, now dare to be good. And it was pretty, that was one of the challenges I had to overcome to, mm. to put my, to put myself really out there. Um, and when I made the final, that was, I was actually quite relaxed because I was like, okay, I made the final. Uh, <laughs> now it doesn't, now I can't lose anymore. So yeah, yeah that made, that made it easier in, uh, in some sense. Mm. I understand that like so clearly I always, I always felt like the semi-final was the hardest race of the regatta, like the most pressure, you know, it always, there was, you know, that's the, the race where you have, feel like you have the most to lose and the, you know, you don't, you don't gain a huge amount by winning, but you, you can lose quite a bit by, by not making that final. Once you're in the final, it's like, okay, now we can just do, now we can just put our best race on and see where that puts us. Yeah. In the, in the semi-final, like if you're a top guy, then the, you can literally only lose and and uh, and what's and in the semi-finals also all the guys are really good so it's not like in heat or in a rep people can also maybe only lose if you want to go for the medal but you will make it in the end uh, especially mm. in the single but in the in the semi uh, if you have a bad row uh, everyone can lose over and then in, in your semi-final, you, you came third to uh, Stefanos and, uh, and Oli. And then in the final, you managed to, to turn that around and, and take the victory, you know, uh, beating Oli in third place and, and Stefanos, you know, Olympic champion in second place. I mean, that's it's such a massive result. Kind of talk us through that like last 500 of the race coming to the end, you know, and, and, and knowing that you, you, you're going to win a massive, massive race. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think like uh, through the race, I was the plan was just to go hard in the beginning and then see where it takes me. And I was up there with Oli and, and Tuskos, and was, it was just like, okay, I'll do, do ten more strokes and then I'll see where I am. And I, I kept being next to them and next to them and next to them. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to put the hammer down now. And then <laughs> that was just go, 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 go. And then I remember 100 meters before the finish, I was about one length up and I was like, okay, no, uh, I'm dead now. So, <laughs> and if I lose now that like before that, I was, I was noticing like, uh, am I going to become European champion? No, it can't be happening. <laughs> at that moment I realized, okay, if I lose now, then I'll, then I'll be sad about it. Like I was so <laughs> close, but uh, the, I managed to survive. Uh, the last 10 strokes too so it all yeah. worked out and then so you ha you have to speak to us about the you know what it's like being a, a scholar from the dutch system because i feel like every single season there's a new scholar coming out of the netherlands and they're just performing so well i mean i feel like it started you know even back in 2019 i remember watching steph bronick in the 2019 a final and like yes he didn't come away with a medal but that final was perhaps you know, one of the the best uh, single A finals at a World Champs ever. And Steph had a spectacular race. I think, you know, uh, anyone could have won a medal in that in that final. And, and Steph, you know, went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the best. And then last year, Melvin, absolutely phenomenal in the single skull. And then this year, you know, you get into the skull, become a European champion. So maybe give us a bit of insight into what you think um, what's the culture like around single sculling in the Netherlands? It must be, it must be something quite special because 
I feel like as soon as you know you're getting fast in the Netherlands in the in the system, then it it must be a huge confidence builder because you must you must say to yourself like the guys I'm I'm training against and racing against and training are literally the best scholars in the world. You know, Melvin, Steph, everyone else around you are incredible scholars. So chat to us about it, like the insight into that sort of sculling culture and what it's what what it's like to, you know, come through that system. Yeah, I think the main thing or one of the things is that we do single sculling all winter. So everyone will have at least quite a high uh, level of, to start with. And then um, the program is really good. So you will be in your best shape personally. And yeah, I think also uh, what you said, like we have all the, all the guys do, doing the single skull uh, are doing it really good, but it also helps that we're one big team and if you're in the single skull, yeah, you're alone in the boat, but you're not on your own outside of the boat. So, uh, and that, that, I think that really helps, uh, too. So yeah, I think that, I think that's, that, I think that's one of the main, that that's actually one of the more important parts that yes, you are one, one guy in a boat and doing the training by yourself, but you're not one guy doing his own thing outside of the boat or on races, like everyone helps each other and everyone is cheering each other on. Um, and, and we know how to, or we know what speech I need to get. And, and I think like, so that, that the whole, the, the, the whole setting is right for doing it really well in the single. Mm. And then they, they must also be, I mean, I understand that completely, like, you know, that, team culture on the bank and then you know it's 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 battle stations and the on the water but the the competition on the water especially when you guys are all in singles and everyone's racing against each other that must be some of the the most you know hardcore competitive environment that uh, that you can find i would imagine yeah so we did like we did the holland baker this year with steph and melvin and simon and i and tony in the single so we had like um it's ridiculous the, the, yeah like Tony he didn't do a lot of single sculling and he was just off the pace being Olympic champion in the quad um, the, the level of that was yeah it was totally insane and that was, but it was also really fun to it's also really fun to race the guys when the pressure is not that high yes and then and I mean it's it's not only the the guys side of the team the, the, the girls side of the team has also been you know just getting really really strong and and i feel like the performance from the guys and the girls have lifted um the dutch team to i mean they were top of the the middle table from you know all the olympic classes uh all the olympic events the the dutch uh, team won the the most medals by far at this world champs so you know that the, the 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 culture in the team must be one of the most incredible kind of teams to be a part of at this at this point um of the Olympic cycle, of any Olympic cycle. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot of fun. And the girls are also on the same uh, training program. We're going to all the camps together and all the races together. And we do the pieces uh, together. I think that's also really helps to, for example, when you're in the pair, you can race the women's four, the women's squad, stuff like that. Uh, so that makes it more fun and more competitive too. Mm. And, and right. See, seeing your teammates win medals and gold medals, it also 
it ignites the fire to what did yourself. I think uh, that that's also the standards really high and you want to live up to that. What your teammates are showing is capable. Yeah. Mm. Cause the, exactly that they, you know, if they doing it and they're doing it on your training program, you, they're doing the same training as you, you know, it really must be, give you so much belief, but yeah, also the pressure to, to keep the performance going. Of course, it also gives you pressure. But for example, last year in the cheats on the world championships on Saturday, like all the crews were having the best row in the final and getting medals. And we were in the eight. Of course, we watched all the races and we were like, oh shit, like, it's it's both. It's, it's more like okay, now we really really need to win a medal too. But it also gives you the confidence, like okay, if all, they are all having a very good, all having the best run in the final, then we are going to do it as well. So it, yeah, yeah, it helps. Uh, and then, so you you finish up European champs, and the next time we see you racing at the third World Cup, and you're in the men's quad, um. That must have been uh, quite, you know, something special. I feel like after the last Olympic cycle, the the Dutch men's quad seems to be to have built a sort of a, a sort of legacy, especially after that win, that massive win in twenty nineteen, and the performance at the Olympic Games. It it must be like a quite a special boat in the Dutch team. So getting into a boat like that with the caliber of athletes, and you know, it comes with the pressure and it comes with the pedigree. Chat to us a bit about like what that feeling was like getting into the men's squad um, and then racing the men's squad at the third World Cup and doing so well. Yeah, it was really cool. Uh, like you said, the Kuhn and Tonar were in the quad in the, at the Olympics and uh, the, the goal was clear, clearly to become world champions in that cruise. Uh, but we also knew like, okay, every one of us is, is very good. So we know we can go for it. And then in Lucerne, we were only a short period together, but we really uh, put down some uh, very good races over there, which also gave us, it, it, of course, it was very nice to win uh, in Lucerne, that alone. And it also gave us some confidence for uh, the upcoming period as well. Yeah, And then sure. maybe even uh, in the quad, like you're, you were talking about the Olympic quad, and sometimes we even needed to, especially when I just got in, like we needed to uh, get back from that idea, like, okay, the Olympic quad was like this. And we have, of course, two guys and of that in our crew, but we're not like, we are not going to make a copy of that crew. We're just going mm. with, we have four guys and although two are the same, but we're a new crew. So we're going to be a new boat. I think that's also, uh, yes, that was oh. necessary too. Not I, say like we do everything they were doing. I think that's that's such a crucial aspect of of rowing, and especially if you're going to row in in different combinations, different crews with uh, with different athletes. It's you know what works in one crew might you know might be perfect for that crew, but then if you try and force it in another crew, it it, it might you know be a disaster and not get the most out of the athletes. It's it's almost like each crew has its own kind of uh nuances and and feeling and you've got to those first few sessions when you're in the in a new crew you've got to kind of feel out what the what that boat's like own identity is going to be um it can't try and copy something else it can try and learn from from other other crews but it, it has to be its own its own identity yeah definitely you, you have maybe some different rowing styles and you have some different personalities so you need to uh, 
allow it for every crew to be their own uh, to have their own style and and not and and not force and then, something on it. And for you, like jumping from the single into the the crew boats, is there, you know, a lot of single scholars are very like particular, you know, like to to be on their own. And do you find it, uh, you know, difficult? Do you find it more difficult to row in like a crew boat, or do you you or do you enjoy the crew boat over rowing on your own in the single? Mm, I like a bit of both. I think like in the single, it's very nice to do to do your own thing and just be able to do whatever you like. But it's also uh, nice to be with people uh, and have a bit of a laugh uh, every now and then. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, the men's squad is, is, has been quite a, an interesting event because I feel like it's evolved quite a lot since the, the last Olympics. And even though you guys have got the, you know, you know that you have such strong pedigree and you know, you have the best rowers. Um, it's still such a massive challenge. And, a lot. I feel like a lot of other countries have sort of, you know, in 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 in, in Tokyo the bar was lifted, and a lot of countries have kind of raised their game as well. You know, Poland has been on fire, Italy's been on fire. You know, a lot of crews are starting to build really good speed in the quad. So it must be such an interesting dynamic going into events where yes, you have such strong pedigree, but you know you're going to be racing against crews that have leveled up their game and become super strong. I mean, even speaking the the Polish. They were world champions and European champions from this year. So you must have been getting to the quad going, this is fantastic. But then also knowing that you have such, uh, such a strong challenge ahead of you and the caliber of uh, crews that you have to race are, are very high. Yeah, definitely. Like we were going to the world championships and we had a race the Italians and the Polish. So we knew our level was good, but we still needed to uh, uh, really perform when it matters. And we were... We couldn't be 100% sure beforehand that we were going to be uh, the fastest crew. And 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 I think uh, the Polish well, and the Italians were second, actually. So they, they yeah, they really uh, uh, made sure we, we needed to do, uh, give it our, our very best. And then, so then at, at World Champs this year, you guys obviously had a, an awesome regatta and, and managed to finish off with, uh, you know, another, another uh, well, with a gold medal. And... You know, to finish off an almost perfect season. I mean, that's uh, two different boat classes, three regattas, uh, gold uh, at each of them, and obviously you were you were sick for Peluco, so maybe that um, that hurts a little bit. But you know, still from the world rowing stage, you had a, a, a perfect season. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, not being the Peluco was uh, sad at that time, but <laughs> I'm not really thinking about it uh, <laughs> anymore. And I also did it with it yeah. at the Holland Baker. I was just talking about, but uh, still, uh, yeah, I won uh, three of the biggest races of the season, so uh, that's really, really good. No, that, I'm sure. I'm sure that must be must be a really good feeling. And then, of course, you know the the other massive thing, you know, becoming world cha- world champion is so big. But I think another thing we haven't spoken about, but must have been equally as big for you, is just getting that Olympic qualification. Um, you know, for your your first time securing, you know, Olympic qualification, it must have been very special. You know, obviously, you know, you've secured the seats, but knowing that there's an op- real opportunity for you to be going to your first Olympic Games off coming uh, first at World Champs in the, the men's quad must be a special feeling. And then, you know, going to 
having that Olympic secured, knowing that there's a really good chance that you can be going must be also a very, a very special achievement in of itself. Yeah, it, for me, it felt like it made this World Championships a bit weird, actually, because there's kind of two races going on, one for the qualification spots and one for the for the medals and the champ- and the title. Uh, and before the world, like before the tournament, we were, weren't really talking about qualification because for us, we were going f- over there f- to win, to win it. And then we would get the qualification, uh, with that automatically, of course. But when I was at the start line of the semifinal, I was like, okay, now I was still, I was suddenly getting pretty nervous. Like, okay, if we fuck this one up it's a bit worse than normally uh, yeah it would be even worse than normally um, but uh, luckily we did, we did it we managed to put out a really good race so uh, yeah it's, that was a bit of a uh, bit of pressure especially in the especially in the quad where there's you know only seven spots now so that last you know that B final with the the winner takes all is is really really hectic Yes, so the Swiss they came in first in our semi, and they were cheering the, for the next thirty minutes or something. Uh, that was really cool to see, but <laughs> also a bit, uh, also a bit, a bit weird feeling because we still had the final to come. <laughs> mm. Yeah, but that, but get it, that qualification is huge, though. Yeah. It's so huge, and then obviously your 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 first world championship uh, gold medal. So you know, going onto the podium. Uh, getting the anthem, getting that uh, the first world champs under your under your belt must have been incredible as well. It's a really special feeling. I can call myself the best of the world, and that is something I would have never believed uh, a couple of years ago. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that is very cool. It is very cool. So, Lenot, that brings us to to, to the the end of our interview, where um, we sort of ask the same sets of questions to to everyone that comes on our show. It's the quick fire questions. I'm sure if you've listened to a few episodes, you know. Uh, but I, was, I did have one more. I wanted to ask a bit about, you know, what are you thinking about Paris? How do you, how are you going about the next, you know, few weeks? Uh, you know, obviously it's it's the downtime of the season, and how you how are you thinking about those first few weeks of the season? You know, once you start kicking off, and and yeah, what do you what do you feel, you know, towards next year for the the Paris Olympic Games? Um, I'm really excited. I'm actually going on holiday tomorrow morning, so I'm looking forward to not being uh, with rowing for the for the next week, and then that, that's going to be really good. And then after that, uh, where we have to do where uh, you off to? I'm going to Madeira. It's a Portuguese island um, with oh, very nice. good nature and nice temperatures. So uh, really looking forward to that. And then uh, when no. the season starts uh, again, that's where Jake's coach is from, Tiago. Yeah, he's from Madeira. Ah, nice. But uh, I don't think a lot of rowing is being done. Uh, that uh, it brings me on to to our quick fire questions. <laughs> and uh, the first question is: if uh, if you could race any bow class at the Olympic Games, which one would it be? Ooh, that's a tricky one. Uh, no, I really like the Kruger. <laughs> of course. Uh, I would have to say the quad, no, uh, but maybe if I'm going to win the uh, the Olympic title, the single, I think that would be the the top of the top uh, to win. Mm, yeah, of course, and I mean especially after you 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 won European champs against you know two of the the best colors in the world, I'm sure that also is uh, 
you know, it's uh, it's probably something you thought about. So, you know, it's it's definitely something that's uh, that's possible. Yeah, I th- I think like um, the main idea was to for me that I would rather win a gold medal than be be a minor medal in single. But but with chatting to people, I think it's clear that winning the singles title that's the biggest there is in Rome. Mm. No, definitely. And uh, I was really interested on the on how you're going to answer that because you've raised so many different boat classes and you you have so many different experiences um, rowing and yeah, so it's it's quite a it's a lot more. You know, most people we ask they've stuck to you know one or two boat classes, so they their answer is very kind of straightforward. Whereas yours, you you have so many experiences to pull from and and to choose from. So the next uh, question, and actually this is also quite a, a tricky one, one for you because mm-hmm. our next question is if you could choose any three people from anywhere, any time in the world to row in a four or a quad with, um, I'm sure you'll choose a quad. Who would your three crewmates be? Yeah, that's a really hard one uh, to be honest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let, let me think about that. I think uh, I'd probably put yeah. uh, Drysdale in there. I think he's uh, one of the biggest legends uh, in our sports. And thinking about that, maybe Olaf Tufte. Uh, I want uh, his sprint. Uh, we're going to go to yes. his sprint. Yeah. So then I need one more yeah. person because you I need to shock the boat. I need to be there myself in there, of course. Um, <laughs> We're not going to put the dream crew together and be on the side. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, it would be great to row with, <laughs> with them. And then let me think. Um, it, it's a lot of pressure to come up with, with some names now, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think. Especially after you set the standard so high. Yeah. I'm trying to think who you who else. Because you got Olaf and Mahi, which for me are like by far the best, you know, scholars from from history and i'm trying to think who else that comes very close who else would like work well in the boat i thought like i mean ollie would be cool because he has so much power so you mm. would like he would add huge watts to the boat you could have you know robbie manson when he was breaking the the world record because uh, like his rowing style i feel was was just so incredible but then if you look further back i mean maybe uh well if you start with drives about two to then i maybe have to say uh andre sinek so the third guy, yeah. that oh, would be a pretty good quad, yeah. I think. That would be so awesome. Yeah, you'd be with some three big boys in that in that quad day. <laughs> Definitely. That that those were also the biggest guys in rowing when I was a younger boy. So Jeez, yeah, that would be cool. And also just to like for me, when I when I think about this question, I always think like I just actually just want to row that boat. I don't want to have to like go and, and race it. I want to just get on the water, go for a paddle, you know, learn, chat, uh, have some have some jokes with them and kind of just feel the boat it would be so cool mm. so the the next question is uh, what is your favorite rowing race that you find yourself watching over and over again it doesn't necessarily have to be one of yours it can be from any anywhere uh well you already mentioned the 2019 singles race at the world championships i think it's that's that's one that's very sick race uh that that would yes. be probably very high up there and there's also the like with men's four in the 2010, I think, World Championships, when like the first five crews were half a second apart. That's also mm. uh, one I uh, 
used to watch a lot. Yeah, mm. that's with the the Muda brothers, the Muda yeah. twins. That they, that there's some really, really good lightweight uh, like force races around those time. Yeah, the first free cruise in one tenth of a second or something like that. Uh, yeah, and you also raced uh, a bit as a lightweight back in, in 2015, 2016. So uh, you'll know all about the, the pressure of, of lightweight rowing. Yeah, I'm very glad uh, I, that that part of the rowing is uh, done for me. Because it, it, <laughs> right now, it just, you're glad that you grew it grew a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it just gives you. You have to be occupied with that twenty four seven, especially when during racing, and so it's hard to turn off. And uh, when I was getting heavier and heavier, then uh, making it through the way and was almost more stressful than the racing itself. I'm glad. I'm glad that's done. <laughs> that's I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Um, I can. I can believe it. Yeah, and. So I wanted to say, have you spoken to Steph about that race in 2019? He must, that, I mean, that's, it must be very special for him to be part of a race like that, especially where, you know, he, he did so well. And like, honestly, I feel like if you took that race and you, you like, let's say you could like replay, redo the race 10 times, I feel like you could get a different winner every single time you read that race and get different medal order. So I don't know if you've spoken to him about that race, but it must have been uh, quite a an insane um, performance and something he, you know, he was he was quite chuffed with. No, I I don't think I have actually. I've talked about him about rowing the single in that season quite a bit, but I don't think about that race. But what is also remarkable is like he was he got in fifth, and he was still closer to the world title than more closer than Melvin and Simon were this season and last year when they were when when they won silver. So. That 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 already mm. tells you how uh, how sick of a race it was. No, it was it was quite something. I I watched that and I I, th- I saw those guys. I'm like the the stress that that must put you under. I mean, like at any second now, someone's gonna have a stroke or a heart attack because of the <laughs> the stress. Especially at the end, it was it was quite. Uh, it was yeah, quite the the spread of that field. I mean, first to sixth place, and you would have said um, who comes sixth in that race. Um, I think Andre Sinek. Sinek comes sixth and. You would have said, "Oh, he's way out of the race." But if you look at it, at actually how far back he is, you know, he's a length and a half um, behind Ollie. It's nothing. It's not. You know, there's so many races that are won first to second in a in a in a bigger in a bigger margin. So yeah, that is a very very good race. Um, our next quick fire question is: If you were in charge at World Rowing, what would you change and why? Um, I think. World rowing needs to make a decision on uh, what to do with lightweight rowing. I think, like mm. from the moment uh, it was clear that it was going to be cut from the Olympics in the, the lightweight four, and then the doubles uh, there. What you see now is the fields are getting smaller, and countries are not putting any uh, uh, effort in it. And I think that's also because the visa is not; they are not uh, deciding on where they want to go with it. Yeah, maybe, maybe it should just be cut, but I think then we need to decide as a rowing community. Okay, we're going to cut it and live with it and not bleed it to death. Yeah, it's not like tenure. string it along. Yeah, that's what is happening now. Yeah. And I think that's uh, quite sad to be honest. Yeah, yeah, no, and, it, and as you say, it's detrimental yeah. to the country because, or to the 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 actual event because the countries can't commit the resources. You know, you don't want to say, oh. I want to put money into these uh, light red rowers. You know, they're under 23s now, but you don't know where their event's going to be in, in you know, three years' time. 
yeah, it's just also it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy at the moment. Like people are not racing, people are not putting money in, and then people are not racing, and then next year countries are saying, yeah, but there's no, there's not going to be a race, so we're not going to build a crew, and then you have two more countries not racing, and now we're seeing races with like lightweight quads was only three quads, and I don't think there were even lightweight women's squads. So it's quite sad. To see. I think. Um... Paul O'Donovan, he would probably disagree. He'd probably say he's scaring everyone off the, the mm -hmm. event from not wanting to race him. <laughs> he, he's probably more right than I am. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so the, uh, the next one is the one that uh, I think all the, 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 the fans, everyone wants to know about. And uh, that's if you, um, we ask everyone what their 2,000 meter PB is on the Ergo. Or the RP3 in your case? Yeah. Um, I have a 548 RP3 time. Yeah. And I have a 609 and then... Erk 2K on a concert. But <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not talking about I'm that. So that was from a while ago. Yeah. It would be a I'm bit cheesy. 609 is a lightweight. No, that was when I was getting a bit heavier, but not. Uh, I would be faster now. All right, we, we, and we got you down you on the 547. 547. No, 548. Oh, that's, sorry. That puts you... Okay. 548. Yeah, right with uh, Damian Martin. Uh, you're ahead of Robert Lucan, which is the other um, Dutch uh, that we the Dutch um, athlete that we've interviewed on the R, and he did his on the RP3 as well. Mm, yeah. Um, so actually, now that we've, we've brought it up, like, can you talk to us a little bit about the you know, the big switch to the RP3 machine and maybe like the sort of the dynamic it, it brings that's different to the Ergo um, and what that's like. Uh, yeah, I think the, the main difference is that the RP3, it's, it's, or it's, it's just much closer to rowing. So uh, you need less specific training for a good time. I'm, I'm very uh, convinced that countries who put a lot of emphasis on erging, they get fast ergs because they erg a lot. So we don't erg, mm. we, uh, we don't erg once a week, uh, even, but come race day, you can have a pretty good piece. Whereas on the concept, if I would have to be do a concept two time, it would be ridiculously slow because I need to train on it for a lot of sessions to just be, um, how do you call that? To to know what I need to do and to be, get used to that specific machine. Which so therefore I think that's mm. that's the big advantage of an RP3. And also for the no, same like reason, you it it more closely resembles rowing speed. I like that um, explanation. I think that's a, a perfect way of explaining it because I actually also like the the RP3 quite a bit. The have you guys have you noticed a shift within? like the general kind of uh, Dutch rowing kind of system, you know, the schools and the uh, universities have uh, have some of them shifted? Because, I mean, the, the, the national team has been training on the RP3s for quite a while now. Yeah, also schools, also uh, the big student clubs who provide to the national, mostly to the national team, are trying to get some hands on some RP3s. They are quite expensive, of course, but... Like all testing for us now is done on RP3, so uh, the the upcoming talents they are also trying to uh, do some testing as well, mm, yes. some training on it. 
Then our last uh, question is uh, if you had to go to the Olympic Games uh, in a different sport, uh, what sport are you going to uh, try your luck at or, or, or what sport would you like to choose? Um, I would really love to be a good, uh, how do you call it, a decathlete. Uh, so the, the athletics oh, yes. uh, would then, yeah. uh, that, that would be, uh, it would be really cool yeah. to be uh, good at that. Nice. Yeah, that's quite a different one. Is it what part? Why why do you choose the decathlon over like a, a specific event? Because I really like uh, that they can do ten things pretty good. Um, I, I like the the fact that they are really well rounded, more than, for example, sprinters who can only do uh, and rowers can also only do one thing. But I like that. Uh, that's something I really like about the decathlon. Yeah. I'm, I feel like rowers are, are fairly rounded athletes. Yeah, I feel like we do a fair amount of cross-training in general, I think, compared to other sports. Uh, and by default, I feel like rowing lends itself a bit more to the, the cross-training system. Yeah, okay, maybe. We do some cycling and some people do some running, but don't get, get us involved with the ball because that would be uh, no. it's going to be a horrible <laughs> experience. <laughs> yeah no that's uh that's a stereotype that's uh that rings true a lot of the time i yeah. think that brings us to the end of the show Leonard, thanks so much for for coming on and joining us and giving some of your time we appreciate it we know you're on your break at the moment so i was uh i wasn't i, I didn't think you were actually going to be able to to give us the time today because it's so soon but yeah we really appreciate it and of course massive congr- congratulations for an incredible season, winning world champs, having that massive win, European champion in the singles. Very, very spectacular. Yeah, thanks a lot. I really enjoyed uh, talking to you guys. And um, I didn't uh, qualify for the Olympics this year, but I'm going to, uh, my tickets are booked. So hopefully I, I see you there and uh, can cheer you from the from the grandstand. Yeah, thanks so much. And good luck for the next season. Good luck for, for the, the training for Paris and the Olympic Games. It's going to be an awesome experience. Yeah, thanks guys. Cool, so that is a wrap for our Leonard van Leroy episode and what a cracking episode. I'm sure all of you guys on the edge of your seats uh, really loved that that episode, really enjoyed the kind of the conversation that we had, very casual, very um, kind of just loose and, and so much information on, you know, what about rowing. I don't know. Love it, dude. That's yeah. why we do the show. 100%. And um, yeah, I mean, he's been, we, we spoke about it in the episode and before, and he's been absolutely on fire. Um, and I cannot wait to see what comes uh, in the future because, you know, based off his trajectory and also the sort of team that uh, team he's in at the moment, I'm like, just you know, thinking about what next year will produce with uh, the realm of the men's quad, the men's single, men's double for the Netherlands is going to be crazy. No, for sure. I think it's going to be it's going to be incredible to watch. I think this it's really turning out to be such a cracking Olympic Games already. Uh, I can't wait for the next season. I think the short Olympic cycle has put the pressure on a lot of people and countries that have kind of stepped up to take on the the short three year challenge. Uh, it's paying off for them. And I wonder 
who's going to be able to hold it and who's going to be able to come in and box at the front as well um, next next season. And what boat classes people are ending up in. I feel like because it's a smaller, sh- or shorter Olympic cycle, people have been like jumping around a little bit more, um, you know, at this stage of the, the cycle, because usually it's like first year, and se- uh, first year and second year of the cycle, that's where all the playing around is. Then, you know, the third year, things are starting to be more set and the Olympic year is, is set. And I feel like we lost that first year. And now everyone is still kind of unsure of where they're going to end up, where their crews are going to are going to be. So yeah, really, really excited to see how the how the Dutch team ends up and and where Leonard ends up. But oh, really, really excited to to watch. Hundred percent. And then yeah, besides that, guys, just a bit of housekeeping. You can go find us on Instagram and uh, lend us a su- your support there. And if you are interested, you can come and join us on Patreon. We have some you know great things going there. Um, our biggest uh, our biggest sellers seem to be at the WhatsApp group, which is um, super super popular and constantly on fire. And then, of course, we have the rowing almanac that uh, you know we constantly putting work into and uh, trying to make it more you know more accessible, more um, user friendly. But it's it's out, and the patrons enjoying it, and that contains basically all the rowing information you can think of. So yeah, guys, thanks for for listening and we'll catch you on the next one. For sure. We're out. Ciao.